I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 74. And y'all, before we get into the most important part, which is Patreoners, we have got to tell y'all about the alpaca excursion. It was not... It was not a farm. (laughs) It was a lady's house. A backyard. (laughs) It had a barn. It had a fence. Mm Mm-hmm. It had alpacas. Some chickens. One llama. And some donkeys. And dogs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And shit. Lots and lots of shit. (laughs) Literally shit. Shit. Like actual literal shit. Everywhere. Shit. (laughs) Did we mention there was shit? Okay. Because here's the thing too though. She just like lets the donkeys roam fucking free on her like back porch. And so they shit on the concrete. And she did not get it off before guests arrived. And she knew we were coming. So it was like an hour drive. Yes. And when we got close, there was a sign that said like alpaca farm ahead. And of course. Got a cute alpaca on it. Donna and I squealed like (laughs) schoolgirls. Okay, well, I was going cuter, but <laughs> she just goes straight to calling me fat. Thanks. <laughs> but then our excitement was something. Tainted. <laughs> it was, they were cute. Oh, the the alpacas themselves were cute. However, we got up to the house mm-hmm. and we parked underneath, well, by the carport. Mm-hmm. And there was a sign painted white that said alpaca store. Farm, no, Farm store. Yeah, farm store. This ain't no motherfucking farm. Mm-mm. This is a house up in the quasi-suburbs. Yes. Could you imagine being her fucking neighbor? I'd oh be like, shut those motherfucking roosters up. I was like, oh, do you have pigs? Because my niece Claire went with us, and she was like, no, they make noise. Meanwhile, all of the other animals make fucking noise. They the, were going on. Yes, the roosters were cock-a-doodle-doodling, and it was fucking noon. <laughs> this lady had a time limit, apparently, in her head. Well, it was $5. She was like, these motherfuckers need to get on. They, can, they got their cup of food. They fed it to the alpacas. Go into the store and buy something. Well, but before that, she's like, here's your cup of food. Let's walk over and feed the alpacas. So some of the alpacas, namely, like, Carrie Jr. and Donna Jr. came running up, and they were like, food, food, food. (laughs) And so she's like, hurry up, hurry up, feed them, feed them. They'll only stay out here so long. And I was like, you're going to feed them. I'm just going to try to take a picture, but uh, okay. I think I got one picture of Donna feeding them, and it was like with everybody else. Like, it was like so fast. Because, I mean, like, literally, you couldn't. You couldn't really enjoy it because then, one, we were scared they were going to spit on us. Every time one, like, sniffed, I was like, it's going to spit, it's going to spit, it's going (laughs) to (laughs) spit. Well, one did spit on another when Barbara was close to Mm -hmm. it. I was like, whoo, super cute. They ate out of our hands. Yes. So that was cool. Until I was done and I wanted to wash my hands. Yeah. Luckily, we were able to do that. But, like, we were feeding them and then she's like, okay, I'll, I'll take your cups. I'll take your cups. It's like... Okay, here you go. Recycle. I get it. $5. I get it. Mm -hmm. She had some donkeys. I was like, can I go pet the donkeys then? Yeah, because she told us that the alpacas didn't like to be touched. Yeah, she was like, you can't pet them on their head. You can't do this. I was like... Meanwhile, her fucking t-shirt said, have you hugged an alpaca today? Exactly. False advertisement, people. 
So, I mean, we all laughed about it, whatever. Well, we went into the store because with this $5 stuff that Carrie got, you get a lesson. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, one, we got in there and it smelled like a whole alpaca shit show. Mm -hmm. Like the alpacas used that store to shit it. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's like, okay, I mean, I get it. It's on a quote-unquote farm, Mm -hmm. Uh, but whatevs. But it was weird. But her her instructional demo was her to feed the alpaca hair through this combing thing, and it combed it out. (laughs) And, like, we were all trying to look and see what we were going to buy or whatever, and she was like, does anyone want to watch? Are you going to watch? Are you going to watch? We were like... Yeah, yes, let me watch you pick a thing of fur out and feed it through this machine. And she was like, pick the grass out, pick the grass out. It's <laughs> like, okay. Why do you make her sound like a parrot? <laughs> <laughs> and then she took us to this, like, spinning wheel. Mm-hmm. So imagine Rapunzel or Sleeping Beauty, whatever. And she shows us that there's this one, and it's like $500. But she doesn't use that. She uses a different one. She sits there and she's spinning this alpaca hair. And I swear, she said it's like $300. So it's cheaper. But I swear to God, it was made out of PVC pipe Mm -hmm. and some wood. I'm like. With like old school sewing machine foot pedals. Yeah, but like out of wood. Yeah, it was very. I'm I'm sure her husband made that for her. Or she made it for herself. Uh-huh. And I want to be like, lady, we're not, we're not buying any of your looms. You loony if you think we are. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what a fucking loom is. I guess it's that thing that old, uh, Rumpelstiltskin had. <laughs> right? So she did that for a second, and we're like, cool. Okay. <laughs> then she's like, all right, soap time. Okay. So part of the deal for $5, aside from the alpacas and the class, was that we got to make... Alpaca soap, <laughs> which was the creepiest thing that's ever happened in my life, I think. Well, we exit the shop. Air quotes. Mm-hmm. Go under her carport. Where it was nice and stifling. Mm-hmm. With her husband who was sitting in a chair and didn't say shiznit. Except for when we walked up and I'm pretty sure he said, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay, Sling Blade. Legit. It was, we... Step straight out of deliverance for this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Y'all are lucky we survived. Yeah. Because we almost didn't. I mean, we all, like, when we pulled up, y'all, we were like, oh, fuck. We, this is where we die. This is it. We're going to be on Let's Not Meet. So we go to make the creepiest soap known to man. It's a bar of, like... Irish Spring. Was it? Yes, that's what she said. It was straight Dollar Tree soap, which is totally fine. No judgment. I will shop the Dollar Tree. That is where I get all of my gift bags. But she was ready to make this like it was the bougiest fucking soap on demand because we were going to make it to where it was an exfoliating soap and it was going to make our skin so very soft. So the soap was wrapped in alpaca hair and you had to like soak it and wet it and then wring it out. Well, she had plastic bins that looked like small paint. Mm-hmm. Like, where you can paint, like, the edges. Like a roller thing. Yeah, for all of us. And so, she put some hot water. Had to be hot water. Mm-hmm. And so, she, like, poured it individually. And so, she said, you have to submerge it because this hair is water-resistant. 
And so, like, Carrie, like, went to submerge her soap and, like, flipped it over. And she was like, okay, you're good. You're good. Keep, take it out. You're good. I'm like, what the fuck? It's submerge. Submerge is not the right word here. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, how she was doing it. I don't know. She was just acting like we were going to have to, like, hold this down and, like. Drown it. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. It was a dunk. Mm-hmm. Like, we all could have just dunked it in one little thing and mm-hmm. been done. Well, so then you have to pick up the soap and to make the alpaca fur, like, around it, the hair, whatever, you have to twist it in your hand, like, over and over and over and over. Same way. And it's got to be, like, kind of fast and, like, get it, get it, like, really, like, embedded in the soap. And then, like, when, you know, you're, like, trying to work on it and make it look, quote, unquote, nice. She's like, don't worry about the hair on the side. You can just cut that off later. So, for all my curly-haired guys and gals out there, (laughs) you know that, especially if you're like me, and dry shampoo is your jam. And so, you don't wash your hair every day. And so, you know that you don't brush your hair. You comb, you know. So, when you shower, hunks of hair fall out when you have curly hair, for sure. I mean, I know it does for everybody, but for show, when it's curly, right? It looked like a bar of soap in my shower after I just washed my hair. Yeah. Like, it was disgusting. Really bad. Really disgusting. And so, after we get it wrapped around she puts it in a fucking ziploc bag and says don't forget to take it out when you get home or it'll mildew yeah and so we all threw them away yeah promptly yeah y'all seriously i mean so if you don't have curly hair it looks like you cleaned your brush Uh uh-huh that is legit what it looks like yes and wrapped it around some soap and said exfoliator like no. Oh, God. So disgusting. It The texture was not good. No, it kind of makes my stomach hurt thinking about mm-hmm. it. Also, no hair on soap is good. Y'all know that y'all have all been in the shower, and if there's a rogue hair on a fucking soap, no one wants to use it. Mm-hmm. I don't want alpaca bush on my fucking soap. <laughs> Trim your shit, motherfucker. <laughs> like, no. Damn. Also... It wasn't that great of an exfoliator. Like, my hands were not super soft after doing that. Because it's the kind of soap it was. Yeah. Like, oh, God, y'all. It was weird. It was such a weird experience. So weird. We had fun, and it made for a really great car ride home because... Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about fucking cackling? Oh, my gosh. Yes. It was worth all of the money, all of that. Oh, because also, she kept talking about that... They work with a church that goes to Peru, and that's where the alpacas are from. And that... <laughs> that alpacas are used to 40-degree weather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was like 100 degrees. We were in a heat index warning thingy because it legitimately was like 97 plus degrees, but the heat index was like almost 110 mm. With, like, probably 70% humidity. Yeah. So, these fucking alpacas had to have been dying. But they had fans on in the barn, and they turned sprinklers on their bellies. Three times a day. Three times a day. Because that is definitely the fucking same as 40-degree Peru. P.S. did not know it got that cold in Peru. At me either. Also, though, maybe she meant Celsius. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Damn. Also, though... I was like, is she trafficking alpacas from Peru? Through a church? Like, because... Did we just did <laughs> we just support alpaca trafficking? I, girl, I, it was an experience, for sure. Worth the $5. Oh, for sure. And I got alpaca socks. 
like like <laughs> like their fur socks. So my toes are going to be very toasty, you know, when it cools off because it's still hot as fuck right now. Mm-hmm. And so they're still in the bag. Honey. Hopefully they don't mold. Now, why do you got to say that? <laughs> they were really soft there, y'all. Can you wash them? Because they're water resistant. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Submerge. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay, okay. Longest intro ever, but I know we got so many questions in the Facebook group because y'all were like, did I miss the alpaca story? No, you didn't because we recorded during, we record during the week and then we went to the alpaca place on Saturday. So episodes come out on Monday, blah, blah, blah. So no, you did not miss it last week. No. I will say, we were supposed to have a pool party afterwards, and it rained. I mean, fucking a gully washer a-coming. It fucking mm-hmm. poured. Mm-hmm. Poured rain. But that's okay. We had fun. Drunk Donna was present. She came out to play, y'all. And she... I was the last one drinking. Mm-hmm. She, Donna did not just do her normal MO of have one drink and be done. No. She drank a lot. Mm-hmm. And every other motherfucker went to sleep. And I watched Glow. All right. So, on to more important things. Patreoners. Yeah. <laughs> so, thank you so freaking much, Catherine K. from California. Meredith B.W. from Louisiana. Amanda W. from Indiana. Logan T. from Scotland. Oh, all right. <laughs> Deb T. from Ohio. Lexi H. from Georgia. And Ashley R. from Georgia as well. Woo woo! Thank y'all so freaking much. Oh, also, forgot to say, Rachel L., she upped her pledge for my birthday. Oh, So, thank you so much. Yes, thank y'all all so freaking much for joining Patreon. We have a bunch of thank you videos that we will be getting out to y'all soon. Your shit's going to be coming in the mail soon. If you want in on all the Patreon action, episode shoutouts. Extra bonus episodes, just all the extra content, head over patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Oh, we're close to our next goal. And if we get that, it's some extra contents coming your way. And it's a fucking video, y'all. Donna is trying to make me have to put on my fucking makeup all the time. <laughs> y'all, if y'all have got a thank you video, you know what a shit show we put on. Well, if you're in the creepy naughty, you know it's a shit show. Honestly, you listen to this, it's a shit show. But it's a it's it's an organized shit show. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Mm-mm. But it's fun. <laughs> you get to see our facial expressions <laughs> when Carrie goes off singing randomly and I'm like, huh? And then I do an awkward dance trying to Okay. Little jig here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's y'all know what I'm talking about. All right. Trying something different today. Oh, God. Picture it. June 2014. Oh. Uh-huh. Westfield, New Jersey. We're going to talk about the Broadus family. Derek and Maria Broadus, they had three children. Maria was raised in Westfield, which was kind of like a she-she kind of town. hmm Derek was raised in Maine, and his family was more blue-collar type, working class, But he was a hard fucking worker and soon rose the ranks in an insurance company in Manhattan that he was working at. And eventually, he became the senior VP. Oh, get it. Okay. Right? right? He he married. Damn. (laughs) Well, if he's in your story, I don't want to. Y'all can have him. (laughs) 
So, yeah, like, they are loaded. But, like I said, they have three kids, and kids are fucking expensive. So fucking expensive. And loud. And joys to the world and a gift of the gods. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Derek had just turned 40, and to celebrate, they decided that they were going to live their best fucking lives and move to Westfield. And they had chosen a house that's, like, a few blocks from Maria's childhood home. I mean, some people go on vacation for their 40th birthday, (laughs) have a party. They're like, let's move. Yes. Well, this house was six bedrooms. Oh, and $1.3 million. Oh, just a little Mm -hmm. shack. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the street it's on, it's called The Boulevard. Very she-she. Yes. Very Monopoly-esque. Yes. It's one of those, like, picturesque, that's a hard word, like, wide, tree-lined street. Just, you have made it if you live on Boulevard. Mm-hmm. You collected $200,000 when you pass go. <laughs> right? Inflation. <laughs> And I mean, that's a monthly note on these houses. I swear to God, I was thinking a second ago, how much is a monthly mortgage on a million dollar home? I have no fucking well, clue. 1.3, because that 0.3 is a still a lot of fucking money and costs more than most people's houses. Yeah, that's at least like a $2,000 tack on for the 0.3. Minimum. Mm-hmm. A little bit about Westfield. It's 45 minutes from New York and... It has 30,000 residents, and a lot of them are families. You know, they have she sheds. They have man caves. The kids have, like, 45 tree houses out back. All of the above. And when this took place, so in 2014, Bloomberg ranked it the 99th richest city in America. And it was named in the country's 30th top safest towns or some shit. Dang. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if it's in my story, something's got to give. Mm-hmm. All right. Three days after purchasing the house of their freaking dreams, Derek is doing some renovations in preparation for him and his family to move in because it's an older home. So, inside, it needs some updating. You know, they're younger. Like, even though it's $1.3 million, the people who lived there before, you know, I mean, they mm-hmm. have lived there a while. So he's painting, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, all that jazz. He finishes up and goes outside, and he's like, oh, you know what? Let me check the mail. And it's just some junk mail. It. They said some bills, but I was like, fuck. Three days after purchasing it? I mean, I guess, like, it was like, forward to this new address. Bye. Mm-hmm. They already had gone down to the post office, mm-hmm. done their change of mailing address, And the post office was on it. Uh Uh-huh. It was probably a fucking hospital bill. That's probably what Mm -hmm. it fucking was. They'll always fucking find you. (laughs) I will find you. And then there was this white envelope about the size of your standard card. So he's probably going, and I'm completely guessing here. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. I I wonder wonder who who it's from. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is that still relevant? I don't think so. No, not at all. (laughs) No, not at all. All right, back to the card. 
so it was something that was sent through the mail. It had a stamp, all the other little markings, you know, that like the little squiggle lines, like blah, 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 blah. And it's addressed to the new owner. Hmm. Derek's like me, can't wait. So he's like, oh my God, this bougie ass neighborhood is legit. Mm-hmm. So he opened the card and there's a typed note inside and it began, dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard. Allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. So he's like, damn, you got a Groupon for something? Like, what is going on? But takes a little bit more of a weird, sinister turn of events. So the letter goes on to say, 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. What? My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. What? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the letter goes on to kind of prove, like... This sender is legit kind of a stalker. It detailed about the family's Honda minivan, detailed about workers renovating the home. The letter said, I see that you've already flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. And... So these renovations were really only on the inside. The outside was legit. You know, I mean, it's an older classic home. So the most they would do would be to paint it Mm -hmm. later. But like more, it's inside. There weren't a lot of trucks around or anything. No one had complained about, you know, there's too many people parking on this. Mm -hmm. There's too much racket or anything like nothing. And then it goes on to, again, kind of prove, like, I'm fucking legit. Like, be scared. And it details something that happened earlier in the week when Derek and Maria had brought their kids to the house, you know, to check it out. And they met one of their neighbors. So the kids, they were running around in the backyard with the neighbor's kids, you know. And while they were chit-chatting, talking about all the shit... And the kids are like 5, 8, and 10. So they're still at that age, you know, like, freeze tag, and I'm a pirate. This is my ship. You know, all all of that. So the letter went on to say, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think that there are three that I've counted. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I have requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. What the fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. And then it gets a little more creepy. Kind of like, let's not meet creepy. I mean, more so than it has been. I was going to say, this whole shit's been creepy. I mean, this letter just keeps going like, whole nother level? Oh, okay. Whole nother level? Yeah. So the person writes, who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. 
Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all of the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. And at the end, it was signed, The Watcher. Damn. Mm -hmm. And all of this was typed out, and the signature was actually typed, but it was in a cursive font. Very she-she. Mm-hmm. And of course, the envelope had no return address on it. So Derek is like, the fuck did I just open? Like, what the ring is going on? Mm-hmm. Goes inside, turns off all the lights, like like he was in the movie Scream. Mm-hmm. Because if someone's watching him, you know, I mean, he can, they can see him with all the fucking lights. He called the police and an officer came over to the house. And the police were kind of dismissive because there really wasn't a whole lot that they could do. Question mark, question mark. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Derek even said that the officer like read it and was like, what the fuck is this? You know, I mean. Yeah. So after the police left, Derek went speeding back to his wife and kids who were living at their old home. He was basically like me when they put out fresh fried rice at a Chinese buffet. So that night, Derek told Maria about the letter. And she's like, look, we are going to talk to the owners who sold this to us. And that's John and Andrea Woods. So talk to 2014 is email. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's like that meme with the cat, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. People probably don't because they didn't see my hands like doing. They know. Okay. Well, that's how she was, because apparently the watcher had put, I asked the woods to bring me new blood, and they listened. Damn. Mm-hmm. So Andrea replied that next morning, and she was like, all right, we lived there for 23 years and never got a letter until a few days before moving out. But we really didn't think anything of it because we hadn't gotten anything before We thought it was just some, like, weird hoax kind of thing. Like, okay. And they actually were, was just like, this is fucking odd. Threw it away. So Maria's like, nah, bitch. It was real. And what did it say? Uh Uh-huh. So Andrea's a good sport. She goes with them to the police department the next day to kind of talk about everything. And that's where they meet Detective Leonard Lugo. They tell him all about the two letters And he's like, look, don't talk to any of your neighbors about this because everyone's a suspect now. So the next few weeks, they were on high a fucking alert. Derek had canceled some work trips. I mean, like, he's not going to leave Maria and the kids Mm -hmm. to go do any of the stuff to go check on any of the renovations. Like, no. When they would go to the house... The kids, you know, would just go out to the backyard and kind of go around. But if they were out of their sight, Maria would yell their names. The kids are probably like, Mom, what? Shit. Yeah. And, I mean, she's so on edge. One time, Derek was given a tour of the renovations to a couple that live on the street because, you know, I mean, the neighbors were me. Like, I just have to know what you're doing to this house, Mm -hmm. you know? So he's given the tour, and he literally froze where he was, probably fear-farted, probably shit his pants. Those are unsubstantiated. Because the wife said, it'll be so nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. 
what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've heard, like, new blood in the neighborhood or something, but, mm-hmm. like, young blood. I mean, other than that being a last name, no. <laughs> right? All right. So, two weeks after that first letter had arrived, Maria stopped by the house and was looking at some paint samples, checking the mail, and she recognized that white card-shaped letter, and she was like, mm-mm, deep boop, 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 boop calling the police before I even do anything because who the fuck knows what it is, mm-hmm. you know? And the letter said, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. Why do I got to keep saying the address? They know the address. I know. I know. They've already changed all their stationery. They fucking know. <laughs> oh, my God. The workers have been busy, and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster was a nice touch. Have they found what's in the walls yet? In time, they will. What? Mm-hmm. What is in the walls? Right? Well, this time, you know, he didn't say, like, to the new owners. Well, I say he, but, you know, the watcher. He had addressed it to Mr. and Mrs. Braddis. So, it's like, shit, was he close enough, or the watcher, was this person close enough that they kind of heard the name, but it was wrong, you know, because it's brought us. Oh. Yeah. And so it's like, maybe they heard the contractors or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to get them now. No, you misspelled it. Maybe they just weren't a good speller. Maybe. I mean, I'm not. And so the watcher goes on and keeps, you know, like, basically doing tallies for itself, which I don't blame the watcher for that. The watcher goes on to identify the three kids by birth order, (gasps) their names, and their nicknames. What? Mm -hmm. And their nicknames is what Maria would call when she was at the house and being like... Where the fuck are you? uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So again, within earshot. Yeah, because the watcher's hiding out in the fucking woods. (laughs) The watcher wrote, I am pleased to know your names now and the names of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. And then it goes on to give detail about this one incident and this one child. And it's when one of the daughters was using an easel on the inside of an enclosed porch. And in the letter, they questioned, is she the artist in the family? Mm-mm. And that easel on the porch is hidden from the street by, like, bushes and all that. So it would be basically mm, 80% difficulty level to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. Or had cameras. True. So then the letter continued. And it's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to read it. Oh, shit. Can I get the Cliff's Notes version? <laughs> 657 Boulevard. Jesus, okay. (laughs) They had a word count and they needed to reach it. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. 
Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move throughout the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657. <laughs> okay, we get it. Can you just say the house? Shit. <laughs> and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Braddis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard. And now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. At 657, but no, I'm just kidding. That is so fucked up. (laughs) Right? After they got this letter, Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house because they felt it was not safe. They didn't want any more tallies for the watcher. None of that. And they were also not sure if they were going to move in. Well, several weeks later, the third letter arrived. I don't have the full, like, thing of that, so there you go. But don't worry. 657 mm-hmm. Boulevard. I swear to God, if you didn't get the number right, I I'd almost been like, said really? Broad- I almost said Broadway. And oh, I was like, fuck. no, that's not right. <laughs> it said, where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. Derek and Maria were interviewed in the New York Post. This was, like, long after this, because I kind of tried to keep it hidden for a while, but... They said they were too scared to move in. Yeah. Derek said he was a depressed wreck. And even to the point where he started to hand deliver anonymous letters to his own neighbors who believed it was all a hoax. Like they thought the broadest family was just doing it to themselves. I'll get into that later. He's quoted as saying, it's like a cancer. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, What would my life be like if this didn't happen? We lost Christmas a couple of times, and you don't get that back. Maria said that reading those letters gave her terrifying nightmares, and she said one involved a man wearing some boots, carrying a pitchfork, and calling to the kids, and she could never make it to the kids on time. Bless it. And she said that she thought anyone could be the watcher. So just... Living her life was a struggle because anyone passing her, if they looked at her and smiled, she was like, they know what's going on. They're mm-hmm. the watcher. Or if they purposely didn't look at her, you know, she's like, they didn't look at me for a reason mm-hmm. because they're the watcher. You know, and it just, it just was. A ter- living hell. Yeah, yeah, it was turmoil. You can't trust anybody. Mm-mm. So they did do some renovations, like a new alarm system And that was finished within a few months. And they never stayed at the house. Derek, like how he said it was a cancer, it really infected him. 
he had priced out trained German shepherds for security dogs. Yeah. He posted on a website for jobs for military veterans. And the quote was, all you have to do is work out in the backyard every day. Damn. Mm-hmm. There were a few times that Derek had to go and respond to some alarms going off at the house. And it was usually in the middle of the night. He would take a knife with him. And he, you know, he's just like, we can't live like this. I'm taking a knife to go check on, like, if it's a fucking raccoon mm-hmm. or if it's a person delivering this or hiding something in the walls or whatever. Yeah. Meanwhile, why did he go with a knife? Why didn't he call the police? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Derek and Maria said at the end of the day, it just was like, what are we willing to risk? We aren't going to put our kids in harm's way. And Derek's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, people are going to make fun of us for not living there. But if something happened, they'd be like, well, why the fuck did you live there? Why did you take Mm -hmm. your kids there? You know, so, I mean, it was a lose-lose situation. But at least they had taken themselves out of that equation then. Right. They're lucky they had the financial resources to do that. Well. Oh. Well, they ended up staying with Maria's family in Westfield, but it was hard because people knew who they were. They didn't want their kids associated with them. What? Why? Because a lot of people thought they were doing it. I'll get into that later, but like a lot of people blamed them for all of this. So how did they even find out if they were keeping this all secret? Because people talk. Who? The detective? Maybe. One of the painters that was hired to, you know, paint, his name was Bill Woodward. And he was quoted saying, I'm a stranger and Maria was crying and shaking in my arms. Like, just, they were at their wits end. Mm -hmm. But it also seemed like the watcher was getting at their wits end, too. Because another letter came and it said, 657 Boulevard, it's turning on me. It is coming after me, and I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it's my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient, and I will wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. Well, don't scare them out of it then. Right? right. You brought this on yourself, watcher. Mm-hmm. Derek and Maria, you know, they went to the cops a lot and just tried to keep stuff going but i mean there was no real scene of the crime or you know no real crime happening yeah there were threats but like you can't link it back to anyone i mean it's just like a fucking dead end and so they were frustrated everything so they began their own investigation and like i said derek had become obsessed he you know had put the webcams up to like the whole security system, but also webcams. He would spend nights like in the bushes, just waiting to see if someone would come to put the letter up. He basically had a fucking murder board of who the watcher was, Mm -hmm. you know? He had like a map of the neighborhood 
And he, like, labeled where each, like, house, the proximity, if it was in earshot, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, just to where who could be the watcher. Mm -hmm. While he's doing all of this research, he talked to John Schmidt, who lived two doors down. And he was kind of gossiping, like, okay, if anyone is creepy on this street, it's the Langfords. And they lived in between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s. She had several children, and they were all in their, like, 60s. And they all lived with her. So, again, the family was a little bit odd. So, of course, they're like, weirdo, weirdo, you know. So they get blamed because Uh they're a little bit different than them, of course. Yes. So John Schmidt was like... Look, there's the younger the younger guy there. His name is Michael Langford and he is he kind of creepy and I feel like he fits the bill to be like whatever you're looking for or whatever, like it's him. So Derek started, you know, again, all right, let me see. Okay, this is within earshot. This is where he they could see the easel. The family had lived there since the 1960s when the watcher's father began watching the house that he said in the letters. The dad, Richard Langford, he had died 12 years earlier. And then this current watcher had said he had been, you know, the watcher for two decades. And so they're just saying like, okay, some of this is adding up and it really could be this Michael Langford guy. However, there's no hard evidence, and the police were like, look, if we don't have an admission of guilt, we got nothing. Like, there's nothing we can do. So, I mean, the police are, I mean, they're legit because you can't say, oh, he looks crazy, so it's him. We're going to go and destroy his fucking life. Mm -hmm. No. With no help from the police department, you know, Derek is pissed off about that. He was like, I'm going to get some fucking experts. I mean, just draining their fucking life savings, all of this to Mm -hmm. try to figure this out. They had private investigator who basically like ran background checks on everyone in the neighborhood. He actually reached out to a former FBI agent who was the inspiration for Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs. Damn. Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Emily, from Mile Marker 181. He had, like, looped in all of these people to get, like, a threat assessment done and all of that. And they kind of went over the letters and just were like, all right. Some of the spacing was weird on it, but it tried to sound sophisticated sometimes. They didn't think that the Watcher was going to act on whatever threats they alluded to. But as the letters continued, they progressed in kind of like being erratic. Mm -hmm. And and they pointed to one part of the letter because the watcher was saying that the house is crying from all the pain it's going through. You've changed it and made it so fancy. You're stealing its history. It cries for the past and what it used to be when I roamed its halls. And so when they're looking at that, they're like, okay, well, maybe let's look into former housekeepers and their descendants. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, maybe the Watcher was jealous that the Broadus family got to buy the house when the Watcher grew up in it and felt like it was rightfully theirs. It almost sounds like the Watcher was some sort of employee of the house. Like, mm-hmm. their grandfather was, like, the butler, and then their yeah. grand- their father was, like, the yard man. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. It's very Sabrina. Remember that movie? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was an old one with Audrey Hepburn, and then it was a remake with Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Shit kind of goes on again, and but a lot of the time, the Langfords, and Michael Langford was the, like, sole suspect, but quote-unquote suspect, because he wasn't really named, because he was never charged, because there's no evidence. Right. And it, it really feels like Derek became... A watcher, too, on Michael. Yeah. By the end of 2014, nothing had really come from any of it. I mean, it they still weren't living in the house. No charges had been brought against Michael Langford, but they, you know, Derek still was wholeheartedly 100% against Michael. It was just a clusterfuck, but... A dead clusterfuck, you know? That poor guy, too. Like, mm-hmm. if he really had nothing to do with it, like, that is horrible for him. Yeah. Because, again, people don't like people who are different than them or that they don't understand. hmm And it's like, while I under- I can appreciate the fear, Yeah, it's like, he wasn't doing anything wrong. Yeah. There was a quote from... From that neighbor, and he said, yeah, that Michael guy, he looks like a Boo Radley character. You know, just, like, already stereotyping mm-hmm. Michael as, you know, and it's just like, golly. Poor guy. Mm-hmm. Well, you might be wondering. I feel like I'm uh, OxyClean or something. <laughs> but you might be wondering, why didn't they not just sell the fucking house? Mm-hmm. Well, six months after this whole ordeal was going on, they were like, look, we're going to sell it. Like, we've updated some of the shit. Like, because, I mean, they kept working on it. Mm-hmm. And so they listed it for more than they paid because of all the renovations and stuff. But, you know, gossip is mm-hmm. bad. And this is a she-she New Jersey town. Like, gossip is gold here. And no one really understood what was in the letters or anything. People were like, oh, my God, I love the house. But I heard that there was, like, a sexual predator who lived (gasps) there. I heard that, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, it was just, like, so many different things. Mm -hmm. So no one wanted to be associated with that house. But the Broadduses, they were like, look, if we get someone who's legit interested, we're going to let them know exactly what happened but we don't want to just put that out there again for the you know gossiping Mm -hmm. gullies i don't know what's a g word (laughs) gussies but they really never got like a full asking price and it was lowball offers and so they were like i mean i don't want to just send it out to anyone we don't want to lose money like more money than we spent buying it yeah but god dang you gotta cut your losses and just fucking go yeah i mean Money's money. Like, I mean, I get it. That's very stressful. And, I like, I can't even imagine losing money like that. But. Yeah. If your kids aren't safe and you're not going to fucking live there, cut your losses. 
Well, when that didn't work out, Derek and Maria decided, you know what? We would not do what the Woods family did to us, where they didn't disclose some weird letter that they got and all of that. And I feel like if they would have told us about this weird letter, it might have changed our minds and all of that. So June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying it, they filed a legal complaint against the Woods, arguing that they should have disclosed that letter. And they really just wanted to reach a quiet settlement and, you know, not have a media frenzy about it. But they did have a media frenzy. How have I never heard of this? Apparently, uh, Teresa Giudice, whatever, mm-hmm. she didn't talk about it. Yeah, this was definitely not on Real Housewives of Jersey. <laughs> have no fear, because when the media got a hold of it, Reddit people, like the Reddit users, they were armchair detectives, like Google Maps, everything trying to figure out. They could find a stalker, like someone taking picture, you know, like mm-hmm. all this stuff. But really, I mean, it just all came to not really anything. Like one user saw on the street view, it was like a camera, I'm sorry, a man holding a camera in the driver's seat pointed at their house. But then it, a lot of them were like, no, I think that's a pixelated glare. Like, mm. you know, I mean, it, so it was just like, again, conspiracy theorist versus people whose head's too large to wear the tinfoil hats. It's so easy to fall down a conspiracy rabbit hole, though. Yes. Yes. So with all of the attention, there was this guy named Baron Chambliss, and he was a veteran detective in the Westfield Police Department. And he was like, you know what? These people are victims, and I don't think they got the help they deserved or, you know, needed. And so he looked more into Michael Langford, and he found that... Michael was diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man and that many of the people in the neighborhood said that sometimes he would freak him out because he would peek in their, you know, their windows, go through their backyard. And so it's like, okay, he doesn't understand personal space and stuff. So maybe he could be obsessed and do the, you know, like whatever, but like other things came to light. And I'm not saying that if you have schizophrenia, it makes you a stalker or mm-hmm. any of that. But, you know, I mean, like, it. there's some underlying things here that instead of he's a Boo Radley character, he's terrible. Well, but, I mean, schizophrenia or not, oh, yeah. you don't go looking in people's windows. For sure. For sure. The more that Chambliss, this detective, looked into the case, he found that they actually did some... DNA analysis on the envelopes and stuff. And it was determined that the DNA belonged to a woman. What? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, okay, well, Michael has a sister and her name's Abby Langford. And she worked as a real estate agent. Hmm. And so his thing was like, okay, maybe she was trying to sell it or she wanted to sell it and get commission on it, but they didn't go through her. And so... Then it was just like a whole thing or whatever. But then they did a test and it was not a match for Abby. So again, they narrowed in on the Langfords, Mm -hmm. but no dice. You think that they would be able, because you said it had like a stamp and all that too. So you think that they would be able to kind of figure out like 
where the letter was picked up and like triangulate some shit from that. You yeah, know? Well, they were, and it was a place local, but it was, I mean, they have 30,000 residents, mm-hmm. you know, and no one that he could have picked it up from a mailbox or, you know, whatever. So when the news broke and everything is coming to light and they finally talked to the New York Post, and I referenced that earlier when they talked about mm-hmm. their mental state. So everyone was then like, this is a scam. He might not have been making as much as they thought. And then they bought it and then was like, oh, fuck, it's got to have all of these renovations and we need to get out of it thinking that they would be able to get out of their contract or something, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, shit, they kept this up for a long time. And, like, at this point, why would they just not move into the house then? Mm -hmm. Like, they haven't even moved in. Like, they're staying with Maria's parents. Which you know is torture. Torture. They have three kids. They tried, again, you know, to keep selling it. And then they talked to a real estate lawyer and they were like, look, you could tear down the house and sell the lots and they could split the lots and, you know, all of this. Well, all the people on this street were like, no, the fuck you can't. This is the fucking boulevard. Mm-hmm. And like, you're not doing that to our street and, you know, all of this. And so it was shut down. And I get it. I mean, people have their like. Well, you don't want to. They don't want to ruin their property mm-hmm. values. Yeah. Two years after all of this commotion, they finally borrowed money from some family members and bought a second home in Westfield, and they used an LLC to try to keep it secret of where they were buying a house. So if the watcher Mm -hmm. was, you know, choosing them and not the fucking house, which he used that fucking address 25 god dang times, Mm -hmm. it was that address. A letter. He did it. (laughs) 25 times a letter. Yes. But they said that it didn't really matter because people of Westfield, I mean, they were tainted. And so it was just like, these people are scammers or these people are weird. Don't talk to their kids. Don't do this. They're poor kids. Yeah. Those kids, like, even if their parents were doing that, those kids didn't sign up for that. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you be mean to a child? That's what I don't understand. Like, they're a child. So, later on, there was a fourth letter, and it had some, you know, I mean, a lot. They never just had, like, one sentence. But it said, you are despised by the house, and the watcher won. And finally, after five years and so many unsuccessful attempts at selling the house, they finally sold the house for $959,360 on July 1st of this year. How much money? 959000 I thought you were about to say the amount was the same as the address. Oh, my like, God. No. What? But, so, I mean, like, I don't know the math. Like, 300000 Almost 400000 yeah. Less than they paid for it. Yeah, not, not mentioning renovations, which weren't cheap. So, I mean, they're probably out almost a million fucking dollars, honestly. I mean, good riddance, though. Yeah. They finally got it, you know, out of their fucking hair. Who bought it? I don't, I don't know. But I got a lot of that information from thecut.com. 
I mean, it had a lot of shit. So thank you. Also, I want to shout out Carla Upchurch Hill in our Facebook group. She's the one who posted about the Watcher House being sold. And I was like, you know what? I need to do this story because, like, those letters are so fucking creepy. Like, so fucking creepy. So did it just end? Mm-hmm. They never, they they don't know who it was. What the fuck? Yeah. I don't like this story. <laughs> so, yeah, like... We now have to wait and see if the Watcher is going to message the new people. Mm -hmm. Who bought it, I wonder? Like, how are they staying a secret in this day and age? And have they moved in? I have so many questions. I know. I know. Let's call them. (laughs) 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 Wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) They blocked us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So my story actually came from my parents. Oh, shit. It was their idea. And it's so funny because they don't listen to the podcast. I've told them not to. (laughs) Like, my mom tried, and then I was like, just stop. Just don't. Anyway. So she texted me the other day because my mom and my dad have a group chat with me. And she was like, so we watched a movie with Nicolas Cage. It's called Frozen Ground. Mm Mm-hmm. She's like, it's about, like, it's based on a true story, blah, 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 blah. Tells me a little bit, and then dad tells me a little bit. And I was like, okay, thanks. You know, like, screenshotted it, put that away for another day. Well, today is the day. Oh, shit. So we are going to do The Butcher Baker of Anchorage, Alaska. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So there's this guy. His name was Robert Christian Hansen. He was born in Iowa in, like, 1939. His dad was a Danish immigrant who was a baker himself. And so as much as Robert kind of didn't, well, I think he went by Bob, but as much as he kind of didn't really want to do the family business, he was at the bakery a lot and kind of learned a little bit, that kind of thing. Yeah, he was a (laughs) doughboy. Dang. A doughboy who liked to play with knives in the back alley. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Well, I got a lot of this information on Murderpedia, because I love that because it has so many articles, like, in one where you can kind of get, like, a good variety of, well, articles, mm-hmm. but also other things. But last podcast on the left did this in a two-parter. I think it was, like, episode 308 and 9 for them. So, when Robert was a kid, he was very, very shy and had a really bad stutter that made him very insecure. So he had trouble, you know, just in social situations yeah. because the more anxious he got, the worse the stutter got, you know. Yeah. Which is not uncommon. Poor kid. We hate him as an adult, but as a kid, poor thing. He had really bad acne that was he was made fun of for along with the stutter. And he was small for his age. And so it just made for a very difficult adolescence. Yeah, bless his heart. Last podcast on the left actually did a really good job of, like, putting his kind of adolescence in perspective. Like, from a, like, if he would have been, like, in, basically what they said was, if he would have been in now times, he'd have been, like, the ultimate incel. You know? Mm, Where he would have had his, like, online community that he Mm -hmm. could have been in, like, you know, which is, it means involuntarily celibate is what incel stands for. And so, it's men who are very anti-women who think that just because they, again, exist as a male, they deserve any woman that 
walks the face of the earth because they believe that women are there to satisfy their sexual desires, no matter how big of a piece of shit they are. Mm -hmm. And so it's like he would have been the ultimate incel. But Mm -hmm. again, just given the time that he was, uh, you know, young, I mean, he was born in 39. You know, he wasn't like getting on the dark web. Right. But I just really liked the way they highlighted that. And so I wanted to be like, shout out last podcast on the left because it, I was like, damn, yeah, he would have been. Yeah. You know? He didn't have any close friends. He just, it was a very isolated life for him. And again, I feel like nowadays people really can kind of find their their people. And no matter who you are, you have your people out there on the internet. Yeah. Or, or you can kind of live this life outside of your life. And so mm-hmm. I feel like, Again, I know this is terrible because we hate him, but a little piece of me just feels so sorry for this isolated teen, you know? Yeah. But there are plenty of isolated teens across the world that do not turn out to be serial killers. Right. He even said that he was left-handed and his parents forced him to be right-handed, which made his stutter worse, which made him have more problems growing up. I was left-handed and my parents switched me. I'm fine. Ish. I was going to say ish. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a fucking serial killer. Okay. To be determined. When he graduated from high school, <laughs> he joined the Army Reserves, which for the non-Americans mean that one week in a month, you have to go like do military shit. And then like, of course, if you get deployed or something like that, but it's not like full-time military, you have... You can have, like, a life and a a local life and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're in the reserves. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, though, he would work in his dad's bakery just to, you know, during the times where he wasn't doing his military shit. But he also worked as, like, a a junior police drill instructor. And this was in a town called Pocahontas. Mm, There is a Pocahontas, Arkansas as well. Well, in 1960, he got married. Oh, shit. Right. Well, old Robert never got over the bullying from high school, even though he's graduated and appears to have moved on with his life in the Army Reserves, working at his dad's bakery, has gotten married, all these things. But he just still harbored so much resentment that he burned down the school. Cheryl's she shed. That motherfucker got her goddamn she shed. <laughs> and then Cheryl's husband blamed the lightning. <laughs> but it was fucking Robert this whole time. Oh, God. No, he burned down the school bus garage. Like, what? 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 Cool, dude. I mean, who does that, though, truly? Like, you're out of high school. It's like it's over, you know? But you're going to go back and burn down the school bus garage? That don't make no damn sense. I love it. You used to love it when Justin would say that. Because he'd say it so fast. That don't make no damn sense. <laughs> okay, anyway. Apparently, there was a lot of, like, the town was split. Like, did he do it or didn't he? Because his friend turned him in. Oh, fuck. Wait. I thought he didn't have any friends. Well, I guess technically he didn't because he turned him in. Well, I said that he didn't have many. Oh. I didn't say Nern. Oh. Everybody got one. (laughs) Well, he was sentenced to 
three years in jail. And while he was there, they did some psychiatric testing on him. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which at the time they diagnosed him with manic depression. But now it would be known as bipolar disorder. They also said that he had like bouts or episodes of schizophrenia. Well, while he was in jail, his wife was like, the fuck? I I did not sign up for this shit. Right. And she was like, I want a fucking divorce. So she filed for divorce while he was in prison. Right after he got out of prison, though, for the arson, he met another damn woman. What the hell? Why do all of our stories, they got a fucking relationship? I know. Oh, wait. I'd rather be single. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, an arsonist and a fucking serial killer? Mm-mm. I'll be fine just by my lonesome. He'd really know how to light your fire. So he got married again, and they had a couple of kids, but he just, he bounced around from job to job, got arrested a couple of times just for some theft here and there, but just kind of couldn't find his place in the world, you know? Yeah. So he was like, I want, I need a fresh start. And so he decided to move to Anchorage, Alaska in like 1967. Remember how I said he, like, loved knives and all of that back in mm-hmm. the day? Well, he fancied himself an outdoorsman. Like, liked to hunt and fish and all the stuff. Had guns and knives and... Ninja stars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had kind of found his place in Anchorage because he had opened himself his little bakery there. It was called Hanson's Bakery. He was actually, again, finding his place in the community. It wasn't a very large community, and so he just was kind of fitting in, and yeah, it was, you know, it, it was going well for him. Something to note about Anchorage, though, is that at the time of Robert Hansen moving there, it was 1967, and so what was happening was it was the big, like, oil boom mm. where they were building all those pipes, so you had a lot of workers Flooding the area. Yeah. And then comes different types of industry, like booming industry. And Mm -hmm. what do you get when you have a lot of lonely workers, a lot of sex workers, right? Mm -hmm. So the area was a bit of like a transient stop for sex workers and just migrant workers, basically, for lack of a better word. Yeah. We're going to jump forward a little bit. June 13th, 1983. There was a guy named Robert Yunt. And he was driving down the road, heading to work, when all of a sudden, this girl, he sees her, like, running down the road, looking very disheveled, and she had handcuffs on, and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. So he stops to help her, and she's like, take me to the mush inn. Mush? Like, I guess, like, dog, like, mush. Mush, mush. It's Alaska. yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's like, take me to the mush inn. And so as soon as they get there, she like jumps out of the truck, runs inside, and he's just like, okay, goes on to work. <laughs> but, and then like he calls police when he gets there, but I'm like, boy, you, you didn't like stay, like you go, you, what? Right. <laughs> you know what? I feel, I feel like that's odd, but mm-hmm. okay. Like that's like the weirdest thing that might ever happen in your life. And you're just going to be like, cool. Okay. Hope you're good. Okay. I'm going to watch you walk in the door. Uh, okay. You okay. made it in. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Good luck getting the cuffs off. Right. What the fuck? Well, anyway, he goes on to work and he does call the police. But the girl, when she's inside, she tells the person at the front desk, like, call Big Timber Motel. And because that's where my boyfriend is, like, call him. And 
Yellow, this is Big Timber Motel. That's where it's all going down. Look, I'm over here at the Mush Inn, and I got this girl that says that her boyfriend's living there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the police get to the Mush Inn, and they're like, where the fuck she go? And they're like, okay, well, she took a cab to the Big Timber <laughs> Motel. And so they're like, what the fuck? So... They go to the Big big Timber Motel to figure out what the fuck was going on. And when they get there, they find Cindy Paulson. She is still handcuffed. Oh, my gosh. Barefoot and by herself. So the police take her to the, like, take her down to the police station to be like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. And this is what she says. So Cindy is 17 years old at the time. Mm. And she said that... She had actually escaped from a man. She said that the guy was like, look, I'll give you $200 if you give me oral sex. And she was like, cool. He was like, get in the car. So she gets in the car, and when she gets in there, he pulls a gun out on her. Mm-mm. So while he, she's in the car, he's got a gun on her. He drives to his house. While she's at his house... He chains her up by her neck to this post that's in the basement, like a like a pole post thing. What the fuck? And he rapes and tortures her. Mm, golly. Well, then the motherfucker takes a fucking nap on the fucking couch. Like, what the fuck? Well, when he decides to wake the fuck up, he puts her back in the car, takes her over to this little airport because he's got a bush plane and that he's going to get her in the bush plane and, like, take her out to this cabin. Well, while he's loading up the plane, she's left in the backseat of the car. And her hands are still cuffed, but they're cuffed in front of her body. Mm. And so she's like, okay, how the fuck can I get out of here? You know, she's, like, looking around. He's loading the thing. And she's like, now's my chance. So she fucking bolts from the car, takes off running. When the guy sees that this girl's running, he's like, Mm -hmm. starts chasing her. Well, she is hauling ass and gets away because then old Robert, the good Robert, Mm -hmm. finds her in the truck. Well, you know, when he's driving by, picks her up. Well, she tells the police, look, I left my blue sneakers in the car on the passenger side floorboard. They're there. If he hadn't gotten rid of them, like, that's how, that proved that I was there. Like, this is what happened. Yeah. She also said that the guy that took her was in his 40s, had, like, reddish hair, and that not only did he rape her, he shoved a hammer up her vagina. What? Do you know how bad that shit would hurt? Holy shit. I wonder if it's a handle or the... I don't know, but ow. I'm going to hope the handle, but I'm going to guess probably the other end. After the police had gotten her statement, they were like, okay, we're going to take you out to that little airport. It's called Merrill Field. We're going to take you there. So maybe you could point the plane out to us. Yeah. When they got there, she sees this blue and white plane and she's like, that's it. And so the police check like with the the things, whatever you check with about planes, 
they find out that Robert Hansen owns the fucking plane. Dun, dun, dun. So they go see Robert because, again, small town. Everybody knows everybody. They know he's the little baker guy. And they're like, Robert, the hell? Like, what's this about? Like, what's going on? And he's like, not my buttons, not my gumdrop buttons. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. He also said, this girl is trying to get me for my money. Like oh, she, mm-hmm. she's just trying to extort some fucking money from me. I didn't do anything. I have an alibi. I was with my two friends. And in his words, you can't rape a prostitute, can you? What the fuck? What a motherfucking piece of shit. Mm-hmm, motherfucker. So the police check out the alibi. It checks out. So they don't charge him. Well, meanwhile, as Cindy's case is going cold, the Alaska State Troopers are also investigating because a couple of bodies keep turning up. So the first of it was, so some construction workers were digging, and they were digging on a road called Eklutna Road, and they found a body of a woman, and it was partial remains, and she was in a very shallow grave. And we still, to this day, don't know who she is. So, they named her Eklutna Annie. Like, after the road where she's from, you know. Well, a few months down the road. Same road? mm -mm, Kind of. Not the same road, but close. (laughs) They found the body of Joanna Messina. And she was in, like, a gravel pit. And then after that, they found... The remains of Sherry Morrow, and she was found in a in a shallow grave. Well, almost a full year, like almost to the day of the year anniversary of them finding Sherry Morrow's body, they found another body along the same river. This body, same thing, buried in a shallow grave. Well, this body was of Paula Golding. She was 17 years old. Golly. She was an exotic dancer and sex worker. And she had been missing for like five months. Oh, that's so sad. So as much as the police didn't want to admit it before, they're like, we got a fucking serial killer. Mm -hmm. Pattern. And so they're like, "We, we need help. And so they call in the FBI. When they call in the FBI, they're like, look, again, we fucking need help. Can you... Give us a profile of who this killer is. They're like, we have all these bodies. We need some fucking help. A special agent by the name of Roy Hazelwood. He comes to be the one to help them, you know, develop the profile. And he's like, it's going to be an experienced hunter who has very low self-esteem. And that he is going to have been rejected by women. Probably keep souvenirs. And they said... And he probably is going to have a stutter. That is so crazy how Mm -hmm. they can profile like that. I wonder what my profile would be. She loves fried rice. Loves golden doodles. Loves golden doodles. Probably has a lot of speeding tickets. Probably doesn't sleep very long. Mm Mm-hmm. And wears glasses because she's blind. And hates socks. Definitely. Oh, my God. That would be my profile for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, that would be my singles ad. So if that sounds like a good time, uh, (laughs) hit me up. Oh, that's funny. Well, the Alaska 
state trooper that was on the case was like, okay, look, we're going to use this profile. But in the back of his mind, he's still got Cindy Paulson. Mm. And he's like, damn, Cindy identified Robert Hansen's plane. Mm-hmm. And he's like, damn, he, he fucking fits this M.O. Like, he fits yeah. this profile. Like, holy shit. And so he gets a search warrant to search Robert Hansen's plane, his vehicles, and his house. Well, October 27th, 1983, they found jewelry from women who were missing. They find all these different guns. They even find a map, like an aviation map, with an X on it, like X marks the fucking spot. And that was hidden behind his headboard. Whoa. And so, here's the thing. Those X's were where bodies were found. Oh, fuck. Now, come on. Come on. So, the police confront him. Because here's the thing. They even found bodies where there were X's that they didn't know there were bodies. Oh, shit. He told on himself. So, they're like, bro, this, we got, this is our evidence. He denies it for a while. Then he became his incel self and was like, it's these women's fault. Oh, my God. They made me do it. Fuck you. So then he starts confessing. And he starts confessing to crimes starting in like 1971. Some of his victims were as young as 16. Mm-mm-mm-mm. They weren't all sex workers. So, here's the thing. We know that he raped at least 30 women. Holy fuck. And we know that he murdered at least 17. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Whoa. He was charged with the murders of Sherry Morrow, Joanna Messina, Eklutna Annie, and Paula Golding. Then he was also charged with Cindy Paulson's rape and kidnapping. Here's the thing, too. This motherfucker, when he was getting charged with all this other shit, they also charged him because this piece of shit filed an insurance claim for the motherfucking trophies that he took from these women. The fuck? Saying that they had been stolen. Are you kidding me? Uh Uh-huh. And he did that so he could buy his plane. And then, like, when they, like, when he was going to trial and all, and they were like, like, you fucking committed insurance fraud. He's like, no, 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 no. I found those trophies later in the backyard. I I didn't realize they were there. But Mm -hmm. what, you'd already spent the money? So, okay. Well, finally, this should be an episode of Forensic Files because they matched the bullets from the bodies to the guns in his house. And that's when he pled guilty to the four murders he gave details of some of the other ones part of his deal was that he wanted to serve his time in a federal prison of fucking course you do mm-hmm. and that he didn't want publicity of course he also had to help the police like find the spots that were like the x marks a spot on the aviation map he had to help the police do that too he was sentenced to 461 years plus life And then he died of basically natural causes from health shit at at the age of 75 in 2014. 
dang, my my story took place in 2014. Mm-hmm, I thought that. I think it's interesting in a serial killer type way that, like, he had such trouble with women in his formative years, like his at pre, pre-pubescent and adolescent years that he, that seemed to carry over and create this need to to use a sex worker and not only use a sex worker, but also fucking kill them. Right. But it, it's like, what's the switch? Like, at what point is it, well, we're all fucking awkward and we're all bullied in some way as an adolescent. Like, at what point does it go from, well, yeah, you're a weird kid, but so is everybody. Yeah. To, like, you can't move past it, so you burn down the bus barn and then you fucking kill sex workers later. mm I mean, if we could figure out what makes that switch happen, we'd be gazillionaires because we'd stop serial killers. Right. All right. You want to do what we learned? Yes. But first, if it wasn't a lot about my birthday at the beginning, I have a few more little things. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Tracy D, because you made the best handmade card Mm -hmm. ever. And it was an alpaca, y'all. And it said, I wouldn't spit on you. So cute. So freaking cute. And she handmade it. And so it's going up on our, uh, mm-hmm. like our board with all of the cards. Yes. It's so freaking cute. Yes. So thank you. I know that had to take you a long time. And I know that you say you love it. and But it's just like, I felt the love. Mm-hmm. And I also felt the love on the birthday message that the Creepinati and Carrie did. Thank y'all so freaking much. I laughed so hard. I was like, oh, my God, Carrie wrote this script. I know it. I, <laughs> I know, know it. I don't know how you thought that I wrote it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am the best friend anyone can have. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very cute in my I, spree shirt. I was about to say, the, the cutest little girl. I was like, this bitch over here. It's your birthday. I can't toot my own horn. <laughs> so... I was very surprised because I was like, okay, well, Sinister Sightings is coming out that day, so it won't be like an episode episode or anything. Like, And let's be honest, she didn't think that I knew how to upload the episode. I, I did not. <laughs> I did not. And then this bitch is going to be like, hey, Donna, did Sinister Sightings upload for you? And I was like, oh, man. Oh, God. Well, actually, I said... You bitch! <laughs> she really did. Yes. And it was a freaking amazing. Thank y'all so much. That was, it was like the most love I've ever gotten on a certain day. Like on any given day. Well, we are very glad that you liked it. Thank you everyone who helped. Because you know I couldn't have done it by myself. <laughs> Thank you to Will and Teresa and Morgan who are, well... Will's our editor, Teresa Morgan, moderators in the, the Facebook group. They helped me reach out to everyone in the Creepinati. So thank you so much for that and everybody who sent in voice messages because we know that that took time. And yes. so thank you all so much for helping me make Donna's birthday as special as she is. Oh, thank you. Uh, shut up. No, don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. I don't like that. <laughs> also, she was like, and it's a truce. So we're not doing anything else for birthdays. No more birthdays. I said, I cannot top this. <laughs> no more. Don't do shit for my birthday, and I'm not going to do shit for yours. 
because where do we go from here? Right. I know. So we're done. We're tied. <laughs> She's still one, but we're tied. <laughs> You're so funny. But seriously, thank y'all. And I just learned that the creatures are like my chosen family and I like couldn't have chosen a better family. Oh, I think we should leave it on that note. Okay. I mean, well, we're going we gonna to bring it Debbie Downer by being like, what did we learn from these horrible stories? Because <laughs> we know what we learned. It's all the same shit. Mm-hmm. People suck, but your birthday didn't. Boom. But the alpaca farm was iffy. It was, it was, it was ratchet, but... But it was fun. And it made for good stories? Yes. Nobody got spit on. No. It was hot as fuck. Mm-hmm. But your hands have never been softer. <laughs> never in my life. Also, though, we'll be sure to put some pictures in the group when this comes out. Uh, yeah, for sure. So after you're listening to this and you're like, well, what did the alpacas look like? Alpacas. <laughs> we'll show you. Like, you can go and be like, oh, look at them. Oh, Donna looks so fucking hot. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's so sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sweaty. Sweaty. <laughs> All right, y'all. Remember. Creep it real. And, and don't, don't get scared. scared.